Eternals from a planet called Olympia. They came here 7,000 years ago on the Domo, our starship, to protect humans from the deviants. We thought we killed them all five centuries ago, but now they're back. Look, if you don't want to move in with me, you could just say... Dane, this is serious. Oh, I know. I'm just still getting over the fact you're not a wizard. I was hoping you could change me into a giraffe. I always wanted to be a giraffe when I was a kid. It's too bad I can't change sentient beings. You made a very cute giraffe. Why didn't you guys help fight Thanos? Or any war, all the other terrible things throughout history? We were instructed not to interfere in any human conflicts unless deviants are involved. Why? If we'd protected humanity from everything for 7,000 years, you'd never have had the chance to develop in the way you were meant to. But if the deviants were eradicated a long time ago, why are you still here? We've been waiting to be told we can go home. So, Icarus, the boy who flew too close to the sun. Sprite made that story up when we lived in Athens. In the 5th century BC? How long were you two together? 5,000 years. I guess you can call that long term. What happened? He left. I always thought he'd come back, but he never did. So I moved on. I'm glad you did. I'm sorry. I have to go. Welcome to Superhero Cinephiles Podcast. I'm your host, Perry Constantine, and I'm joined together by one of my co-hosts on another podcast. Um, he co-hosts E for Evolution, examining Grant Morrison's X-Men with me, and he's also a former guest on this show, and that's Patrick Lagua. Pat, how are you doing today? Good. How are you? Hi, everybody. Doing pretty good. Uh, good to have you back on the show. Um, so before we jump into the movie, why don't you remind people a little bit more about yourself? Um, I lifelong comic book fan. Um, I like uh, Percy. Uh, Perry said I'm a co-host on Ease for Evolution. Um, I guess I'm a really kind of a x-men well not kind of like sort of that's my go-to um comic book obsession um but i've dipped my toes quite a bit in eternals i guess since the movie came out i think i re i reread that uh neil gaiman run um fairly recently and then i'm a big kieran gillen fan as well and really enjoying his current take on those characters um if y'all haven't read that uh current run that he's on you should check it out yeah uh before we jump into eternals uh you also host another podcast you wanted to tell oh about yes that? um yeah so i'm actually on another expert related podcast it's kind of a theme um called Grokoan exports um so it's me and uh, three other co-hosts who are currently going through and reviewing commenting on the current um hickman era i guess not hickman era anymore but um the status quo is still around um we have just wrapped up recording we we go we go through like the dawn of x trades i don't know how familiar y'all are with how those are collected but marvel is sort of releasing uh this current era in these dawn of x traits which collects issues from different series sort of in a more chronological order by how the events take place um so we're 
we just recorded volume 15, then we're doing volume 16 this week. Um, and after that, we're going to tackle 10 of Swords, which will be a two part episode because it's kind of it's a 22 part comic story. So yeah it's pretty big uh me as a trade reader those dawn of x trades um they threw me off when i first started um dipping into the hickman stuff because i picked up the um the house of x powers of 10 trade and then Mm -hmm. i started picking up the individual trades like Mm x-men and marauders and then after that i noticed the dawn of x these big collections i'm like man maybe i should have gotten those instead and just waited but um but we we had a the um, the guys from um, uh, the ex-wife podcast on here and they pointed out that it actually is kind of better to do the individual books because then you can mm-hmm. kind of pick and choose which ones you want to you want to do um, which has been good because there's some of the the, the Hickman era stuff that um, didn't quite appeal to me like I tried the first two new mutants trades and it didn't really grab me all that much so I kind of skipped out on those and so it's late let me be a little bit more selective in what I want to read. Yeah, it's really like your flavor of reading. Mm-hmm. I, I I don't think you, I I don't think either one is better than the other. Though I do think the advantage of the Dawn of X trades is kind of gives you this all encompassing view, and it right. really shows how well edited and how interlinked all of the stories are. Yeah, it's a, it's definitely chronological it's, fashion. Right. Yeah, it's definitely a cool format, and I'm glad that Marvel is giving people the choice of which way mm-hmm. they want to read. So that, that's definitely really I like that idea. I wish more they do that with more stuff not only marvel but dc as well because trying to piece together things with trades can be kind of a nightmare Mm -hmm. um but so like we said we're going to be talking about eternals today and you mentioned a little bit about the eternals comics so um like me personally i've never been a fan of the eternals i've never really dipped my toe into into their into their comics um i i started reading the the game and trade last night actually because i picked it up years ago probably on one of the what, different was it sales. A sale <laughs> yeah yeah just yeah. like those those comiXology sales which mm. as a side note i really hate what amazon's done to comiXology now but that's a that's a debate for another time another um, episode perhaps oh god i could go on and on uh, <laughs> i already wrote an article on me uh, on medium about it um but um, but I did pick up this game and trade and I only just started reading it last night after I rewatched the movie and, um, and it's okay. It's, I'm almost, I think I got like three issues left in the trade. Um, mm-hmm. but the Eternals is a, as the characters, the concepts, um, I like Cersei and the Avengers and my only other real experience in them has been, um, when they appeared in other books and mm-hmm. when they usually appear, it's just kind of they've never really grabbed my interest at all. Uh, but so as someone who's a little bit more familiar with the Eternals comics, uh, what kind of drew you to them? Um, I, I guess I don't know if I'm like more familiar than you are because I, I can sort of name those two. Those, those are the two like big, not so, but those are the two main comics exposure I've had to them is that game and wrong and the current Gill and run. So mm-hmm. I don't know if like, so you're slightly more experienced than me. Slightly have, more, but not I haven't much. read the, the Gill and Run yet. Yeah, yeah. So, but but I, I don't know if that's a function of of us being readers, or I don't know if there's ever been a no. Wasn't there a Paul Jenkins run at some point, or am I making that up? Um, Paul Jenkins I did. Think in there Human. was. I think you're. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You're right. So but I don't know if 
I do think there was another. There's the obviously was the there original. One? There was obviously yeah, yeah, yeah. the original Kirby stuff, and mm-hmm. then I think there was another mini series or something between the Gaiman and the Gillen stuff. Okay. But yeah. I'm so I don't sure. know if like our our level of exposure is related more to like how interesting they are to us, or whether there just isn't that much like actual eternal stuff. Yeah, and I'm not sure um, Mm -hmm. what what the case is as far as that's concerned. So you've never read any of the Kirby stuff then? I have not. Okay, okay. So I have not. So I I was going to ask you if you knew any had read any familiarity with that, but from what I've understood, um, from what other people have told me about the Kirby stuff, it's that Mm -hmm. it's because Kirby's, you know, he's a great i he was a great idea man. Obviously, brilliant artist, um, mm-hmm. and he had, he had this a lot of these h- kind of high concept stuff. But he wasn't so good as a writer when he got down to the actual character type stuff. That's the kind of stuff where he wasn't so good at. So mm-hmm. his eternal stuff. A lot of people that I've talked to who have read it have just been kind of like, it, it looks nice, but that's really about all there is to it. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like the game and, and the Gillen run is more like. The game and run is very. When I was reading it, and I don't know if you had the same reaction, I was very like, "This is a game and book first, and an Eternals book second. Like, there's mm-hmm. so many like game and esque tropes happening in there. Yeah, um, which is not necessarily a bad thing because it. They, I think those are characters, and the story fits well with the with the kind of thing that game and does. Um, the Gillen run. There's also a lot of, but I'm, there's a lot of Gillenisms in there, but. Mm-hmm. I feel like he does a better, he's doing a better job of like writing the characters. It's an Eternals book first and a Gellin book second. Okay. So he's, um, he's made you more into, he's made you more into, so you're following it more um, because of Gillen specifically, or has he started to make you a fan of those characters as well? Um, Both. Okay. I, yeah, both. Like I, I, I'm interested in them in a way during this run in a way that, I have not been in the past mm-hmm. um and there there's a massive spoiler at the end of the first arc that i won't reveal that sort of paints them in a very different light okay. than we've ever known before okay um so let's go ahead and, and talk about this movie now this is one of those films that was kind of a, a swing for the fences for marvel because kind of like guardians of the galaxy because that was also a property that you know wasn't really well known you could also mm-hmm. put Shang-Chi in that category too, you know, character that a lot of people outside of the comics audiences didn't know about. Um, and, and even comics audiences, I would venture. Yeah. Probably yeah. not super familiar. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, Guardians mm-hmm. maybe a little bit more, but still, mm-hmm. out, out, but Shang-Chi and the Eternals, unless you're like real hardcore Marvel fan, you'd, you'd be forgiven for not really know, mm-hmm. hear, hearing about these characters before. You know, like I said, I've read tons of Marvel stuff. And the Eternals book is the first time I've really kind of read um, the Eternals on their own, not as part of some them appearing somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was kind of it was a gamble for them to to say that we're going to do a movie about the Eternals that, you know, this comic book that nobody's ever heard of and introduce this new team that's been in the background the whole time. Uh, so what were some of your opinions uh, after the first time you saw this movie? I think Swing for Defenses is an apt description, but I think, unfortunately, they failed Mm -hmm. (laughs) because I feel like this movie has this conflicting 
mission statement where on the one hand, like they're trying to introduce all of these cool, interesting concepts that is like as far as the movies are concerned, like we've never seen before. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, they're also trying to package it as a very conventional superhero movie in like sort of the Avengers like mold, right? Like, mm-hmm. like you see that when you first introduce them, they're like, you know, having these big fighting action scenes. There's like these dramatic poses, they're quipping, and they're like, they're basically the Avengers, but like in ancient Babylon or what have you, which I think it was the wrong tack to take with these characters. Like if anything, I wanted them to go even weirder and more unconventional because then I think I, I messaged you like a couple of those panels from the Game and Run where right. like even they say, right, like we're not superheroes, mm-hmm. but the movie I think was very much concerned with packaging them as such. And for me, that did not work. Yeah, it, I, I agree with you. I think that the movie works best when it kind of taps into those, th- when it takes them out of that realm. Like, mm-hmm. um, and and I think this movie would have been better served if they had actually gone with the game and approach where he had yes. them kind of like amnesiac and start off with that and trying to yes. make it more of a mystery and try to piece them together. I think that would have worked. Sorry, one second. <laughs> no worries. Yeah, I think it would have worked a lot better if they had gone with that approach because mm-hmm. it, it feels like because then you raise all these questions, which they actually, to their credit, they actually do address in the movie about like, well, how come you guys weren't around when, you know, Thanos was blinking half the population out of existence? And, mm-hmm. and it's, it's a really, it's a really good point. And even though they say, well, well, you know, they told us not to get involved unless deviants are involved. I mean, at that point, after all this time that you, you know, spent living in the world, you'd think you'd, you know, kind of say like, well, you know, maybe we should get involved this time. So that excuse doesn't work so well. But if they were, and if you had gone with the game and story, it would have made a whole lot more sense. And I, what really was disconnecting from like, as far as translating them from the comics, like this sense of like, they have such a, I'm not, what's the right, familiar, intimate, like, relationship with humans mm-hmm. and when i think of the eternals it, they're very much like they're removed like they're removed from us because they're not humans and they know that like they they're they're these demigod figures that uh, they they wouldn't like i know they did the whole cersei black knight thing because it's a comics thing and they're sort mm-hmm. of tapping into that whole history with the avengers but like they like the relationship that they had with humans is not what i was expecting it would be yeah i was kind of surprised by that as well it i like i them being revered as gods and all that that made total Mm -hmm. sense but it was weird to see like you know cersei going out among them and like helping them plant crops and all that and Mm -hmm. um and then like dancing with them and and you know sprite telling them stories with her powers it that all of that seemed really kind of it was also even though I don't know much about the Eternals. It was kind of divorced from what I think their the original idea behind it was because Kirby was very much influenced by stuff like Chariots of the Gods and the whole kind mm-hmm. of idea about you know the gods and goddesses of of ancient cultures being actual aliens. And he was very much taking that in, inspiration from that when he did this um, when he when he created this in the first place. And I think it the movie would have been better served if it had kind of stuck with that because I get what they're trying to do. They're trying to establish that 
they've got this affinity for humans and that's why they're they decide to rebel against Erisham. Um, and that makes sense, but I think you could have accomplished that same thing by having them, by going with the game and stuff again and having them be amnesiac and living among the humans and not knowing they're the Eternals until something awakens them. Yeah, I think that approach would have made more sense to me as far as maybe providing narrative for like, you know, why why should you care for these peon, these, these mm-hmm. humans as much as you do, right? Um, because also like if you're self-aware immortal and I was thinking about this like in Phaisto's case for example mm-hmm. like like he's been around for a long time and I would imagine like they would understand the cost of like having a relationship with a human who's gonna die and like I don't like a, you know it's a blink of an eye to you if you've been yeah. around for thousands of years and like why would you do that again mm-hmm. yeah. like willingly in in a very mentally balanced way and so like I think the movie sort of hand wave like the movie asks a lot of interesting questions that it then sort of immediately hand waves away right and I think Fastos is a good example of that because there's that that great scene when he when he's standing at the at the ruins of Hiroshima in 1945 Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, there's this whole thing about him being like done with humans and, you know, tech and his technology being responsible, but Mm -hmm. then he's living in suburban Chicago with, (laughs) with humans. And it just, and I get what they're trying to say is like, it's like, well, now I use my hands just to fix my son's bike. And I get what you're trying to say with that, but there's a jump there that's not quite making the landing. Mm -hmm. Um, can we talk about Druig for a second? Because he yeah, was my sure. he was my favorite. Like he's he's like the POV character who's like who tells, or at least as this particular audience member, like he's the one who's like he said all the things that I was thinking, and mm-hmm. I absolutely appreciate. And I just love the caustic character that sort of like makes people makes the other characters uncomfortable by like, and you know this from our other podcast by like telling things they need to hear, but maybe don't want to hear mm-hmm. so i i really appreciated um his character <laughs> one of the things about druid that kept throwing me off ever since i mm-hmm. saw this the trailers of this movie is mm-hmm. and this is just my thing but appearance wise he reminds me so much of what's his name who plays flash in the justice league movies ezra miller it's kind of he's got kind of like the something okay. about like his hairstyle i can see it and it just it kept throwing me off the entire time because i'm looking at him i'm like i know this is not ezra miller but it mm. makes me think of ezra miller so much i i can see it i can see the resemblance um that was really throwing me off when i was watching the movie both times i keep thinking like mm-hmm. you're not ezra miller why did i <laughs> That's There's another a, speedster. Yeah, not yeah. Ezra Miller there is another speedster in there too. Yes, um, yes. Now, for my part, I actually I thought Cersei was my was uh, my favorite of the characters. I thought Gemma Chan did. A, I mean, anytime you have Gemma Chan in a movie, it's always good to see her. And I thought she did a great job of making that character really really likable. Because if you know the character from some of her other appearances, like in like from her time in the Avengers. Mm-hmm she's kind of a hard character to like. And I thought they yes. did a really good job with her. And because, you know, if you had read the the Gathering story arc, 
that was kind of mm-hmm. her big thing in the she Avengers. went insane right if i recall correctly she went insane it was the mad yes. weary thing and mm-hmm. then black knight kind of got tricked into being her her ganjosin and all that mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff and there was this whole love triangle between her and black knight and crystal who was also oh that's right quicksilver at the time yes. too so it was like yes. this love square mm-hmm. type of thing um and not the best story arc that the Avengers have all have, have done before, but it was interesting and it was kind of cool to see it um to see those characters appear in a different form here. And I found myself really thinking, like, you know what, I want to see her now end up in the Avengers. And I want to see like more of Kit Harrington's Black Knight in the Avengers as well going forward. Well, well, and I think she's easy to like because she's the only character I think that had any substantial arc. Yeah, yeah. In this entire, like she's the only one who, like she started a movie as one thing, but she ends up in a different place. And I think she may be the only one from the cast that had any kind of substantial development. Yeah, I mean, Which is hard to do when you have a cast of like, what, nine? Right. Characters? It, yeah. That's another thing is this movie, it kind of feels like it's it's more of the X-Men style of movies than the mm-hmm. Avengers style of movies, if you know what I mean. Because in the X-Men mm-hmm. movies, it was much more focused on, you know, two or three main characters. So it's like, you know, you get mm-hmm. you get the focus on Xavier, Wolverine, and Magneto. Whereas here, pretty much all the focus is uh is on Cersei, as opposed to the Avengers movies, which tend to be a little bit more well-rounded in terms of the mm-hmm. characterization. Mm-hmm. Well, and they are—they, I mean, because they also get other movies to do that, that too. Yeah. So, even so, like the my the the characters who don't have their other movies in the Avengers films, like Black Widow, or I mean, I know Hulk had one movie before, but mm-hmm. <laughs> but a lot of people didn't even realize that. Um, mm-hmm. uh, or you know, Quicksilver, Scarlet Witch, Vision—all of them—they get quite a lot of development in those movies in comparison to the development that the Eternals get in this movie. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about Karim for a second? That's his name, right? Oh yeah, the the valet. Yes. What did you think of? I thought he was a. He was a. It's weird because I I get the feeling they're trying to go for like um this comic relief type character, and he does that mm-hmm. in a in a few scenes. Mm-hmm. But after a certain point, it just kind of feels like why is this guy still here? I, I get like, I thought they were trying to, okay, so here's this POV character, right? Like he's uh-huh. to stand in for the audience, but he annoyed, he annoyed me so much. <laughs> he annoyed me so much. Like, and it may be because the, the particular POV that he was bringing to the story may be different from my own point of view, uh-huh. but I'm just like, dude, there's all this crazy stuff happening. Now the world is going to end. How are you this calm? Yeah, how are you yeah. This, like, how is this just? normal for you he gets a few good lines i will say that like i did like the the scene at the beginning when um kingo introduces him and he's like he thought i was a vampire at first and he tried to stake me oh and did you just love how they all seem committed to like telling everybody you know, who they are like like sir like yeah like, whatever kingo like okay i'll just tell you whatever that was kind of the weird thing especially at the beginning when the deviant mm-hmm. first attacks and mm-hmm. Um, because they've been leading up the whole Cersei and Dane situation. You get the sense mm-hmm. that she hasn't told him anything right. about herself. Mm-hmm. But then you know the Deviant attacks, and she's like, "It's a Deviant." He says, "Well, I thought you killed them all." And then later she says, "You know, I'm an Eternal." And it's like, so wait, D- 
did you tell him? What did you tell him? What didn't you tell him? It, it's a really weird middle ground here. No, but I, but I think, no, what happened is Sprite told him, but then I guess he thought like, oh, it's just Sprite telling stories. And then the Deviant shows up, which I guess verifies like everything that Sprite told him before. But it, everyone in this movie is super well adjusted. Like, yeah, like she just lays out this massive revelation. Like, by the way, I'm thousands of years old and I can do these things. And I've had this ex who's also kind of like me, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, how are you taking all this, Dane? Oh, I'm good. I'm fine. Turn me into a giraffe. Ha ha ha. I actually did kind of like his reaction to all of this just because they live in a world where okay, that's the true. Avengers yeah. have been a thing for what, like over 10 years now. And they mm-hmm. just had this situation where, you know, half the population was disappeared by magic rocks for five years and then just magically brought back. So mm-hmm. I did kind of like that, you know, they're more, cause that's one of the things that kind of annoys me when you have these situations in, in comics when, when they're like, Oh, you know, how can, you know, how can aliens exist and all this? I'm like, motherfucker, you've got like, you know, as guardians flying around down fifth Avenue. It's been aliens. Yeah. Yeah. So it always kind of irritates me when they have that, those kind of surprises in those kind of surprise reactions in the comics and even in other movies. So I did find it a little refreshing that they didn't go down that route in this movie. Um, I, so I guess maybe it's not so much like that narrative bit, but more like for me, like the quippiness of it, like Mm -hmm. there, like there wasn't a lot of distinction between how they talked in the past versus how they talk now. Yeah. That may just be being nitpicky, but like, I feel like, like in the past, they would talk like contemporary people. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's no difference between like what their language is in the present versus their language thousands of years ago, Hmm. which I suppose you could just explain away by like the Star Trek universal translator theory, I suppose, like, Mm They don't really sound like that. It's just being translated for your your contemporary ears. Right. But no, that, that is a good point too. And I did think that was, um, it didn't quite jump out to me as much when I was watching the movie, but it is, it, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a good point to make, I think. And, and I think one of the things about this movie is that it's, it feels like it's half of a Marvel movie and half of a DC movie in its execution. And it feels like it doesn't really know which one it wants to be. Mm-hmm. Like, like when you say where it's got, it's dealing with a lot of this, like a lot of the visuals, a lot of the kind of heavier themes seem much more suited to what the stuff that DC is doing. Whereas then you contrast it with the kind of quippiness. And I feel like there was a lot more um, interference in this movie than there wasn't in, in oh, some others. I, yes. Cause I, I feel like it's, trying to burst out and like mm-hmm. do all of these weird unconventional things that they've never done before but then i i feel like chloe zang got all these notes about like no 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 like we got to sell action figures like mm-hmm. you really have to sell them as like superheroes in this kind of vein right? yeah 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 and i think part of the problem is just and this goes back to my thing with the comics too is that the Eternals have never really been strong enough as a concept to kind of carry them mm-hmm. into their own series, in my opinion. And I feel like that's kind of the same thing here with this movie, where you get a lot of interesting ideas, but 
the characters aren't really interesting enough to make me care about it as much. And I feel like it's the Eternals work much better when they're they're not the focus. When I like the backstory of them and the whole thing with the Celestials, but it feels like it works better with them not as the main characters, but with them like integrated into the larger Marvel universe, I think. I'm not sure if you if you disagree or how you feel about that. Um I I think there's a way. I mean certainly the current Gillen run makes them a lot more interesting. Mm-hmm because of that thing I can't spoil. <laughs> so you're just going to have to read it yourself. But um, I think there's a way to make them interesting. And I think there's a way that the movie could have made them more interesting by not being so committed to like making them into the, uh, another iteration of the Avengers because that's right. not, that is not what they are. Well, I think that's one, one of the strengths that Marvel's had with with most of their superhero teams is that they all have like kind of like a set lane that they occupy, right? So mm-hmm, it's, you know, mm-hmm. you've had the Avengers, which is, you know, the big league superheroes, the Fantastic Four, they're a team of, they're a family and they're a team of mm-hmm. explorers. The X-Men is a school and the Defenders are like, you know, this, the, the, like the weird kids that nobody wants to hang out with. And mm-hmm. like all these different groups they've had, they have kind of this shtick, this, this little thing that, that gives them a reason for being. And when you, and the Eternals being this ancient group and all that, that's kind of their shtick. But and when you try to make them a team of superheroes and you try to make them just like the Avengers, it doesn't work. And it just makes mm-hmm. people, and people are watching it just like, you know what? Yeah, but you know, instead of having, you know, Cersei and Kingo, we could have had, you know, Captain Marvel and Doctor Strange. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it it makes it made it a little bit tonally dissonant to me and mm-hmm. made me crave more like explorations of like some of the interesting implications of this movie. Like, for example, well, I suppose the, the layman in the Mar- in the MCU won't know, but like we're all basically like germs on this planet. We're just here to like incubate this baby. And like mm-hmm. what does what are the sort of implications of that for people? <laughs> like it's kind of a big deal yeah and um and if i'm not mistaken that originally comes from the earth x comics doesn't it the idea of this... right okay mm-hmm. which I, I am no go, go ahead i was just gonna say like i'm not sure if they've incorporated that into the the main universe uh, eternals comics at all i don't believe so there is there was an a celestial at the center of the planet I, I i don't recall the details but like some in jason aaron's current avengers run like right the, yeah the concept he introduced but i don't think they've introduced the notion of um celestials using planets as incubators in the main uh hmm. marvel in the 616 okay but that is one thing i really appreciated about the movie is they went full on earth x like yeah oh, i was like i i didn't think they would go there but they did so that was cool. That was one of the things that surprised me. I wasn't expecting them to to go full Earth X with that. And, mm-hmm. um, so I did like that addition there to to add in the the Earth X stuff. And I thought it it gives it 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 gives the Eternal something to do basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did like that aspect of it. So bringing in the Earth X stuff and the celestial stuff that was cool. And then the way that Tiamat is killed at the end um, 
with you know being kind of frozen in the earth like that it did remind me of um of aaron's avengers and how their 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 headquarters is basically mm-hmm. this dead celestial so it does make me wonder if they're gonna revisit that in uh in future avengers movies yeah like re-watching it i, I kept thinking like huh who's gonna live there now mm-hmm. um and that island he came out of looks like a certain island in the comic where mutants live or something not that we want to go down that speculative route or anything (laughs) um but i do want to talk about some of the other characters like um so even though i did the it wasn't as compelling to me like i said i did like cersei um i like kingo i thought uh kumail nanjiani did a really good job uh in Mm -hmm. his portrayal of the character uh, and you know, I was surprised. Like as I, I'd seen like the stories about him like getting buff, and as I'm watching him in like the Bollywood scene, I'm just like, man, he really did get, he really did buff up for that role. Uh, yeah, but also I was like, you know, if if you did that much work, I didn't even see one shirtless scene. So, yeah, it, like you could have like done more. But I knew you worked hard. You could have gotten more mileage out of that. But mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, it, maybe. It, it's weird. Maybe that it's it, just the outfit. Like they have to do that to fit in those things. Um, it, it's one possibility because mm-hmm. I don't know if you, I've seen them live in like uh, museums and conventions and they're, they're like super tight and small. I mean, mm-hmm. of course they would be, but like, I, like if you see them in person, I'm like, I, how could Kate Blanchett fit in that? That is a children's, <laughs> that is a children's jumpsuit. <laughs> but yeah, it is weird because I, I remember them doing all this story. I'm like, oh, so we'll probably see, you know, Kamal Nanjiani yeah. being having at least one shirtless scene in, right. in the movie, but mm-hmm. we only ever see his arms. So, you know, mm-hmm. you know, you could have stayed a few hours at the gym and just worked on the arms. Just the arms have to worry about right? it. Yeah, yeah. Though I'm I'm sure everyone is contractually obligated to to do all that, though. It, it seems like it these days, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um but, and uh, were there any characters that kind of jumped out uh, for you in the movie? Um, well, we mentioned Druig, who's, I think, my favorite. Um, uh, Ajak, though, felt very... I mean, what did you think about Ajak? I was like, I felt like... I think we, we could have gotten given Selma Hayek more to do, but she, it felt like she was really more just a plot device to get things to get the narrative going in the movie and to sort of provide like a, the backdrop of the the murder mystery. Yeah, yeah, I was I was kind of disappointed because what we see of her in the movie I liked, mm-hmm. um, and I w- did wish we would have gotten to see more of her. Uh, same also with Angelina Jolie as Thena. Yes, yeah. Um, I mean, we did get more of her than we expected because originally that had just been intended to be a cameo, so we did get really? more of her. Yeah, yeah. I did so, not know that. So we did get more of her than we expected in the movie, which I liked. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things too, like I couldn't understand why Angelina Jolie was using an accent in the movie. Was there an accent? Yeah, she that wasn't her regular voice. So she's huh. putting on a bit of an accent. And I couldn't understand for the life of me why, because so many of the characters, you know, they're just using, the actors are just using their regular, you know, mm-hmm. native accents. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you've got Richard Madden, who's got like this kind of Scottish accent, you know, Gemma Chan speaking with an English accent, mm-hmm. you know, Sprite, Faistos, they're speaking with, you know, just regular standard American accent. So I couldn't mm-hmm. understand why Angelina Jolie decides I'm going to go with this pseudo British accent. Like I couldn't really define it. <laughs> Well, apparently it's so subtle. I did not even notice. <laughs> that was- I think it's maybe it's because I, 
I had recently rewatched um, Gone in 60 Seconds. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I had her voice very much front of mind uh, when I rewatched the movie. And I'm just like, that is not her regular voice. Mm. Um, Gilgamesh felt like, yeah, it's sort of like this X-Men approach that you were talking about earlier, where it's really hard to like, find or or notice anything super compelling about any of the other characters besides like the ones that they focus on mm-hmm. like they, i feel like all of them have like a certain they have one or two things to do in the movie and then they do them mm-hmm. um and then that's it <laughs> you know gilgamesh is a good point because that was a character that i wish we had gotten to see more of because i liked mm-hmm. what we saw of him but it's just mm-hmm. it's not enough and i did also like the little conversations they had that tie it to the rest of the marvel universe like when they're talking about hanging out with Odin and Thor chasing Thor, around. yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. as a little kid and all that. I did like mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. And and it makes sense. And I, I did wish we would have gotten to see a little bit more of that kind of stuff in it. But, mm-hmm. but you know, uh, I don't know. It's I don't think they'll be getting the sequel out of this. Which, um, which is unfortunate, I think. Like, I, I could go with another... I, I, I could maybe go for another one, mm-hmm. um, but hopefully assuming that like they they commit to sort of a more weird or unconventional take on it. But I, th- I, I, I worry you may be right, though. Mm-hmm. Well, they did solve the problem of how are they going to keep Sprite young because that actor actress is definitely going to grow up. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so they did they did solve that problem, which I was wondering as we're watching the movie, I'm like, something's got to happen to Sprite by the end of this movie. Like either she's going to die or or something, because there's no way that they can have her stay ageless for the next for the sequel if they do a sequel. So mm-hmm. it was it was kind of nice to see them kind of solve that problem. Um, also, uh, what else did I get? Oh, you know, some of the the casting choices were interesting too because they had done a lot of uh, flipping from the characters in the comics because most Indeed. of these characters are just white dudes in the comics like makari's mm-hmm. a white dude but here he becomes mm-hmm. a deaf black woman um mm-hmm. uh ajak was a was a guy in the comics and you know ends up becoming selma hayek athena mm-hmm. no athena was the same basically uh mm-hmm. but, but they've done a lot of uh face so i'm not sure i didn't see him in the game at where i'm at of the game and run so i'm not sure what he was like in the comics but is he in there? I don't recall. I think he is. Yeah. Well, um, even Sprite, right? Uh, Sprite was a boy in the comics and this, uh, she's a girl. So they'd done a lot of switching about that. Um, mm-hmm. What do you think about that? Because I thought it was, it was kind of cool and it gave, um, it, it made, I, I did like the casting in this. I thought it was, it was nice to see a casting that was a little bit more representative of humanity as a whole, as opposed to just, you know, white guys all over the place. Um, yeah. I, I may be the wrong person to ask because I'm very biased towards like, you know what, race blind casting, let's mm-hmm. do it. Let's go for it. Like, so uh, yeah, I, I didn't have a problem with that. I thought it was really great. It, it uh, made things more interesting as far as I'm concerned. Um, and I don't, it, and it, to me, I, I, so to me, like these kinds of choices don't really have to be justified as far as I'm concerned, but I, even in the case of these characters, I think there's even more of a case to be made about like this being okay because mm-hmm. like these are cosmic godlike characters. They probably don't really give a crap about 
earthbound notions of gender. So right. like, who cares? Um, and also it's cool. Like if you read the Gillen run, he actually works that in. Oh, okay. Where he mentions like, because they resurrect every so often. Mm-hmm. And then there's there's a cool line there, I think, in issue two, where he inserts like, oh, yeah, every like hundreds of every so often we just change genders because whatever mm-hmm. we're bored. So, you know, it's a thing. Yeah, which makes sense. And, you know, you look at some of these gods and goddesses and they've got a there's precedent for doing that in the old in the mm-hmm. old myths, too. So mm-hmm. so it, it is it is a cool thing to do. And like you said, you know, because they're these ancient gods and goddesses, you don't have you're not restrained to different socio-political concerns like you know one of the arguments um you know my late co-host used to make is that you can have a black batman but you can't really have a black bruce wayne because there's so much about the character oh. and inherited wealth and all that in that where although, uh, excuse, although excuse me there is a black batman running around right now well yeah like you said you can have a so. you can have a black batman but a black Bruce Wayne is a different story because Bruce Wayne's all about sure, inherited sure. wealth and in America. So that's, it's harder to do with that character and other characters. You can obviously switch fairly easily. Like Nick Fury doesn't have any connection necessarily to being black or white. You could easily make him either one. Um, I mean, although I don't know, like I I've had discussions about like, can we have a black Emma Frost and my, or an African-American Emma Frost? And I'm like, I think absolutely you can, but anyway um and the the other thing too is like in the movie they also established that like these aren't the only set of eternals that get sent out to like different planets and to to do the celestials bidding and so i mean it's always possible that there there are different iterations of these characters and you know they could be sending out like different versions of ajax so you could have like some Hayek Ajax, or maybe there's another kind of Ajax running around somewhere else. Yeah, that was a pretty creepy scene where we see Cersei mm-hmm. looking at like all the other versions of themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, and uh, what do you think about the decision to basically make Icarus the the villain of the movie? Uh, okay, I, I your mileage may vary, but I seem to be on this like I figure out the who done it in the first five minutes. Mm-hmm. Of things I'm like, this reveal is not surprising to me because he looked creepy the first time he showed up. <laughs> like something is not right with this person. Um, so yeah, it was fine. Like I, I the twist wasn't so twisty to me. Um, although maybe shifting gears a little bit, did they did not have any chemistry. I'm sorry. Like that romance yeah. is not compelling to me at I mean, all. Which it, it works in the modern day because they've been separated, but sure, it doesn't work. Sure. In the, it doesn't work in the no. flashbacks. No, it doesn't. I'm like, you I'm not buying this meat yeah. suit is not so cute. Mm. Like when when he tells her like you're beautiful and all that, I'm just kind of like that okay. feels so rehearsed right now. Yeah. No, in that scene where he, I don't know, he made like some like foodie whatever thing. Yeah, and yeah. then, well, I'm going to have to learn um, their stuff, I guess, if I'm going to spend time with you. I'm like, Cersei, I, I'm, I just don't see it. But I mean, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess there were slim pickings in the Eternals for you. That's true. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Um, but yeah. Uh... I, he he did okay with what he was given, but in general, I wasn't really that impressed with Icarus as a character. Mm-hmm. Um, just way too much stoicism. 
Um, and it, it did make you realize why <laughs> why she ends up going for for Dane in the first place because he's like the complete opposite of what That's Icarus it. is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So like after you know being with this guy for five thousand years, it makes sense why you'd want to go with someone who's a little bit more laid back. Mm-hmm. Although like she waited for him though, like mm-hmm. like I think she said that, but yeah, yeah. Um, well, speaking of, because I think he was probably the biggest casting news, at least in the the circles I ran in, because he was probably the the character that most Marvel fans were were familiar with was Kit Harrington as as Dane Whitman. Uh, mm-hmm. What do you think of that casting choice and his character in the movie? Um, it it worked for me. I think I I need to see more, and I maybe need to see him as like donning the helmet and wielding the sword, which. Now that I think about it, he has a lot of experience um, wielding swords mm-hmm. and such um, to to make a, a final decision. But I think he did a good job in here, just to sort of being like the charming Earthbound human boyfriend to the Eternal. Yeah, and I like the the references they threw in, like the fact about his uncle and him being estranged from his uncle because you know his his uncle is the the first Black Knight in the comic who mm-hmm. appeared in the comics and he was a criminal. So mm-hmm. I did like that little callback. Um, I did like that he had the ebony blade at the end and mm-hmm. how that they had the the Black Knight symbol in the in the ring as, as his family crest that she mm-hmm. gives him. So all of that, I thought was it was cool to see those little callbacks. I'm just like, that's something I recognize in a movie based on characters that I have no familiarity with. Um, and although I, I, I see this may be another reason for a sequel is... I just want to see what the plan is to, to try to locate your cosmic girlfriend with a with a sword thing. Mm-hmm. Like I, I just I I want to see I want to see what what the plan is there. Yeah. Um, now for me, actually, I think the most interesting scenes in this were actually the post the mid and post credit mm-hmm. scenes. So we had mm-hmm. um, we have Star Fox pop up at the end. Um, mm-hmm. What do you think of that and uh, the casting of Harry Styles? Um. So, I, I mean, the concept of, like, he's the most beautiful man ever is, is already dubious from the start. And so, I again, your mileage would vary with Harry Styles. But I think he did good with um, the, the sort of part of the story that he had to play. Um, and I think he embodied the character well. Um, and I, they, I, I was really, I mean, this, the movie, I, so I, we did, I think we threw a lot of criticism at it, but I think one of the, things i enjoyed a lot was um just when i thought they couldn't get deeper with the cuts they 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 keep one upping themselves and sort of paying off like oh i'm i'm thanos's brother i'm like oh okay we're we're doing that and what is that going to mean for all the movies going forward yeah i thought that was an interesting choice too because they had been Mm -hmm. no mention of thanos being an eternal or anything like that um and no having a family or having a family right having a larger family so you get Mm -hmm. the sense that everybody on titan was just like him so having having him tie him into the eternals actually does make a lot of sense then that way because he had had that situation in the in the comics too where you know you've got this purple wrinkly faced wrinkly chin guy um Mm -hmm. as like the only where the rest of his family are all white people Right and 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 pretty and mm-hmm. you know for the most part human looking um, yeah which is a nice bit of comic accuracy yeah yeah um, and also I loved seeing uh, Patton Oswalt as Pip the Troll I thought that was a great piece of casting was that was that Patton Oswalt? that was Patton Oswalt yeah oh my god okay 
But like, okay, but just his voice, right? Like, was that was that him? I think was he did the motion capture. I think okay. well, it, was, it was a mix. I think he definitely did motion capture for it because okay. I definitely recognized his face. All right. Um, um, and you I, can I, tell, and he's teleporting, which I thought he could only do because he had the space jam, but maybe that's not the case. That's a good point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe it's a, maybe they had raided the the time variance authority from loki indeed indeed uh i don't know but that's a good point yeah i wonder how they're gonna handle that well there's a lot of questions about how they're gonna handle because they had introduced the infinity stones before introducing some of the characters that were connected to them like adam warlock's gonna be in guardians of the galaxy Mm -hmm. 3 but the soul gem's long gone now so it's gonna be interesting to see how they use that well, I, I, I mean, I, I, I'm just totally guessing, but I mean, there were infinity stones, but maybe there's infinity gems as well. <laughs> well, um, and also the gems, you know, they're destroyed, but they're just like containers. So the energy still right. exists somehow. So we'll, right. it'll be curious to see what they do with that kind of stuff. Um, also, the the post credit scene with, with Dane and the Ebony Blade. Uh, I really mm-hmm. like the way they, the little glimpse we get of the ebony blade and how it's like moving as he mm-hmm. as he reaches out for it i thought that was a really cool touch mm-hmm. um and then we get a uh, little surprise cameo voice at the end indeed uh, indeed did you get do you pick up on who that was yeah it's mahershala ali yes. yeah yeah so that's blade we, that's blade so yeah and it's funny because I was there's another blade in the scene so by the way and i was uh, i was watching with the subtitles and it just says mysterious mm. man <laughs> <laughs> oh um, so, I mean, I guess they'll be hunting vampires together. I guess so. Yeah. I or, guess. Perhaps. Or some sort of Midnight Suns type thing or, or something yeah. like that. So, which will be cool. Like, I love, uh, I love that, I, that concept. And so it'd be really cool to see what they do with, with Blade going forward. Hopefully not mm-hmm. make him an Avenger. Cause though I like Aaron's run, I don't think Blade should be an Avenger. I know. I mean, I guess we can go in a little bit of tangent. It's, I feel like ever since Bendis, they, they've had this like, everyone's an avenger yeah everyone can be an avenger I'm like, okay. that's that's one of the things i really disliked about bendis's run is just how it's like hey everybody's an avenger now i'm like come on it, it used to mean something <laughs> oh oh so oh, um, but that, that's yeah, a we, bit of a digression there did you notice the and i i don't know what kind of legal wrangling they had to do but apparently batman and superman exist in the mcu yeah, well, they, um, they're or at least the, as as fictional characters. Called, yeah, right, yeah. right. I thought that was I thought that was cute, um, and it mm-hmm. does make sense because they have all these references to, um, you know, them influencing the ancient gods and goddesses, and then mm-hmm. um, so it does make sense that someone like Icarus could be the inspiration for Superman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was a cool little little nod, and also the just calling him, you know, just the mention of. Um, what's his name being like being like alfred mm-hmm. yeah it was cute uh those those little those little moments were and those little moments when they're interacting were when i found them the most interesting um and it's the the larger story just didn't really interest me as much as the individual characters maybe did and i wish mm-hmm. we would have seen more of them okay um pat anything else you wanted to mention about eternals um, I I guess we can conclude with I, I think it's worth a, a view from folks, especially if you are a, an MCU fan. 
I, I don't think it deserved all the hate that it got. And yeah, certainly I don't think it's not the worst Marvel movie. I, to me, that distinction still belongs to the dark world. For me, it's, it's still Iron Man 3. Uh, oh, okay. For me, it's still, <laughs> it's still the dark world. Um, so but it's certainly a lot better than that. Um, I, I just think that there was a lot of conflicting impulses in this movie and a lot of like different tonal mismatches mm -hmm. uh, and which may be a product of perhaps the director and the writers wanting to tell one story and getting a lot of notes from the studio who perhaps yeah. wanted a different kind of movie. Yeah, I, I agree with that for the for the most part as well. Uh, one thing I want to mention too is it is a beautiful movie. Like I will say oh, that. Oh, right. Yes. I yes, mean, the, agreed. Yes. Yes. And it, it, I feel bad for Chloe Zhao because she, she deserved a better movie than, than this. Mm -hmm. um, hopefully she gets to do more stuff with Marvel uh, despite this uh, because it, it does look amazing. Mm -hmm. And, um, and also like, I love how the, they do the, the Eternals and all their powers are consistent with each other. They've all mm -hmm. got those like, kind of like, you know, outline type effects to them. I did like that, that they had all linked them together that way and showed them that they're all consistent in that way. Yeah, I just want to echo that too. Like it, it's so just aesthetically wonderful. Everything on the screen looks pretty. Like Chloe Zhang has a good eye, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, the scale of it, the the visuals. I particularly like all of the designs when when she goes to the World Forge. It's mm -hmm. just, I mean, it's CGI, but it's very beautiful. Yeah, and, and gorgeous. Well, I think they did a good job of capturing the Kirby aesthetic without being mm -hmm. slaves to it. So I thought they did a really good job of that. Although mm -hmm. I was, I got to admit, I was kind of hoping for a little bit of Kirby crackle. A little <laughs> bit of crackle, yeah. Mm -hmm. A little bit of Kirby crackle would have been nice, bit. but but other than that. No, but speaking of the World Forge, I, I, I just um, remember this rewatching the movie yesterday. Um, I don't know if you've read the Al Ewing um, run of, I'm not sure what that, it, it's his run on the Inhumans, but... They actually visit the World Forge in that title. Oh, okay. No, I haven't read like, yeah, Inhumans. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, that's a, I mean, I thought that was a pretty cool um, callback reference to that. Inhumans is another one like the Eternals that I just, I was never really able to get into them. So just Inhumans and Eternals. Those are like the two Marvel properties that just never really held any interest for me. Yeah, but and to be fair, like, I do think along with, the Eternals, the Inhumans are the most interesting to me when they're playing with other people. Yeah, yeah, I think so Not too. so much just by themselves. Yeah. Okay, um, so I think that about ends our conversation for Eternals. Uh, so Pat, you want to tell people where they can find you online? Uh, yeah, I have a Tumblr called Perfect Fabric Killing Machine that you can check out, particularly if you're after more Amifrost content in your life. Um, also, like uh, we mentioned earlier, I'm on another podcast with a, a few other friends called Krakoan Exports. So check us out if you want to learn more or are curious about the, well, for us, current Hickman era, but I guess the Krakoan era in general. Mm -hmm. Yep. And uh, also you can listen to, to both Pat and myself and uh, our other co-host, Oscar, on um, E for Evolution, examining Grant Morrison's X-Men. Uh, this show, as always, SuperheroCinephiles.com is the website, Super Cinema Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Uh, make sure you like us. Make sure you rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you get your podcasts. And um, that about does it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. You have been listening to the Superhero Cinephiles Podcast. 
follow us on Twitter and Instagram at SuperCinemaPod. Join our Facebook group by searching for Superhero Cinephiles, where you can interact with us and other superhero fans. If you'd like to support the show, you can become a regular supporter at Patreon or make a one-time donation through PayPal, both of which can be found at our website, SuperheroCinephiles.com. If you buy or rent any movies through the Amazon links at our site, it helps support the show. Please be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening. And as always, good night, good evening, God bless.